Well, as we're going through this series and the journey to the cross, we're really now in the last moments. Uh, last week, we studied the Last Supper uh, that Jesus shared with his disciples. And the last verses we read is that they left and they departed for the Garden of Olives. And that's where we're going to pick up today in uh, Matthew 26. We're going to read verses 36 through 46. And this really is kind of the beginning of the suffering for Jesus. It's that moment he spoke so often of what would happen. And as we said many times throughout the series that the cross was not a surprise for Jesus. He knew what he was born to do. But now the moment was upon him and Jesus is really weighing the cost of everything that he would go through, the personal cost. And this is one of those examples where we see the true humanity of Jesus, that he was fully God, but he's also fully man, and we're seeing this human side of him come out, that he was wrestling and grappling with all this pain, but he's also being tempted in this moment. And now is a, a, a perfect example of Jesus going to prayer to find strength in this moment of temptation, and that above all, he would remain obedient to the will of the Father. And that's such an example as we think about temptation in our own lives and the trials we go through, that we can bring them to prayer and find strength in God to make it through whatever he would have us go through. But we also see an example of the disciples and their failure to prepare in this moment. And it's almost fitting that we have this happen on a moment like on a morning like today. I'm uh, somewhat surprised to, be, to see so many people here. Uh, one, you guys all remember to set your clock back. So good job. I nearly forget almost every year. But maybe some of you are feeling that loss of an hour or maybe feeling a bit more tired and having the heavy eyes. And, you know, this is a place of no judgment. And so if you fall asleep during the message today, you know, this is, this is your time. But it would almost be ironic with the text we're going to be reading today because that's, that's exactly what the disciples did in this moment of preparation, is that their flesh was just too overpowering, they're too tired to make it through this moment and to prepare for what was ahead. But as we're about to read this text, we see very clearly that the suffering that Jesus encountered was not just physical suffering on the cross, but there's this emotional turmoil, this anguish he went through. His suffering and the passion story starts now in the text we're about to read. So if you join with me as we read through the scriptures, we're going to read again Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, 
My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. As I said, this is one of those moments where we're seeing a lot of different elements at play. We're seeing the humanity of Jesus. We're seeing the full humanity and the failure of the disciples. But above all, that there's a desire for the will of the Father, the will of God to be done, that Jesus would not escape what he was wrestling with now, but that he would go forward willingly and emboldened. But the first point we see are in the first three verses we read, that there's definitely this inner anguish of Jesus in this moment as he's really going through everything he's grappling with, and that there's a temptation to abandon these hardships. Now, one thing needs to be made clear, none of us could blame Jesus for what he's going through here. All of us would have the same temptation, and I don't believe any of us could go through what he went through as he went to the cross. But temptation is something that's common to all people from the very first all the way through the generations until now. And Jesus, being man, was tempted in the same way. And it's almost poetic that this garden called Gethsemane means literally olive press. It's this place where the olives were grown and they were pressed so hard that everything inside of them came out. And Jesus is being pressed right now with all of this turmoil that everything inside of him is coming out to the disciples. It's a very real and vulnerable moment that he's sharing. And so he came to the garden for one reason, to pray. This was his last moment, his last night here on earth and with his disciples. He used this as a time to pray and prepare himself, to find strength for the suffering that was was ahead and to wrestle through these temptations he may feel. In the book of Hebrews, it gives us another side of this moment. In in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks specifically about this moment that Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And saying that Jesus went through the greatest temptations in his life and the greatest sufferings. And when you feel like you're suffering, you're being tempted, Jesus can help you because he's been there. And see some important applications happening just through these first first, uh, couple of verses. And the first is that in this great time of distress, Jesus desired fellowship with his closest friends. He didn't isolate in a way. It, It said that he left the eight disciples kind of on the outer spots of the garden, but he brought the closest three with him. And that's where we read he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which were James and John. This was the inner three, the three that came with him in a lot of pivotal moments in his ministry. And it's kind of interesting that these are the three he brought with him to the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw clearly the full deity of Jesus on display. And now he brings these three with him and they see the full humanity of Jesus on display. He's honest with them. He says, guys, I'm struggling. Stay here 
with me. And there's this moment of, that he's feeling sour, sour. I'm having a hard time this morning. That hour of sleep is gone. <laughs> sour, sorrowful. I'm not going to say that word after that. And he's troubled. And we see that there's this anguish happening. This is the time I should probably be praying and preparing for this what's ahead. But he's, he's having this grief, this inward grief that there's this heart, this heavy heart that he's feeling of everything happening. And his mind is feeling this distress, this, this anxiety, so to speak. It's kind of like that reeling mind of everything that's happening. So he's being vulnerable now. He's inviting them with him and he's sharing what we would consider weaknesses. And he says that my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He expands a little further. It's overwhelmed to the point of death, so stay here and keep watch with me. What he's really saying is my heart is breaking with grief. This is extreme anguish that he's feeling. And we see here more anguish and more temptation than any of us would ever feel in this life. Now this, this anguish, this sorrow, this is more than just the day-to-day -day worries like we might face. But one commentator said that what he was feeling in this moment, the closest we could ever come to experiencing that is the anguish we would feel in hell. That he's ex experiencing this extreme anguish inside of him. Because he knows that he's about to suffer the full penalty for our sin. And not just one person's sins, but for the sins of the world. And he would feel everything that comes with it. It wasn't death that was worrying him. It was the kind of death that he experienced. The purpose of that death on the cross that is leading, leading him to feeling overwhelmed with sorrow. And so he feels this temptation to pray to see if this cup, that we'll talk about what that cup means in a moment, but that this cup would pass from him. And it's a moment of saying, is, there really, is this really the only way? Is there anything else we can do to accomplish the same purpose? This anguish, this temptation goes far beyond anything we could ever experience. And what's amazing to me is now he's reaching out to the lowly disciples for support. That's an amazing part about the story of God is he doesn't need us. Jesus didn't need the disciples in this moment, and clearly they weren't much help. But he still trusts us. The gospel, the life-giving gospel, he trusts to the church, that we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. And now in this moment, he's reaching out to his friends. That's an application for us, is that no matter what you're going through, you can be honest, you can be vulnerable, you can ask for support. We're never meant to go through trials and temptation alone. And so he asked for that support to stay here and to keep watch with me. He shared his heart with these three disciples and asked for their help. He desired their fellowship above, above all in this final time of crisis. And he tells them to stay here and keep watch with them. Now, to keep watch does not mean that you're looking out for the bad guys. And this is something we often misunderstand, but it, it means to be mindful, to be prepared, to know what's coming, and to be ready for it. And so often, we, we reach out for support in ways where you, know, you, you look for accountability and encouragement and partnership to make it through the tough, tough times. It's what makes it possible in this life, and Jesus is doing the same with his disciples. But the meat of this text really comes 
in verses 39 through 44, we see three prayers of Jesus and three failures of the disciples as they're preparing themselves. In verse 39, he meets this temptation head on in prayer. You know, so often we think of Jesus only as this superhuman, which, I mean, he was. He was fully God, fully man. He could do anything. And we, we get this idea that Jesus just marched to that cross with zero inhibitions. But that's not the case. And we see in verse 39 here what might be the greatest glimpse of the humanity of Jesus in all of the Bible. That there's this full expression of his sorrow and his anguish coming out in prayer. And first we see that he fell with his face to the ground. And this is the lowliest expression you can have in prayers. as one of humility, of brokenness, of desperation, and complete dependence on God. We're seeing Jesus' fullness of humanity here and the complete extent to which he could be tempted. Now, as I said, this is not the first time that Jesus was tempted. He, he dealt with temptation often in his life, I'm sure, but probably the most famous is when he was fasting in the desert and, and the devil tempted him to turn the stone into bread. He tempted him to jump off the roof of the temple that the angels would come and grab him. And then finally, he tempted him with power that if you would worship me, the devil said to Jesus, I'll give you everything I can see. Well, for Jesus, it was already his. And he knew he could do all things, but not all things were in the will of the Father. So we praise here about this cup. And this is really important because the cup here is not a literal cup. This is figurative language in the Old Testament that talked about suffering. Not just any kind of suffering, but this was suffering that came specifically through the wrath of God. The cup represented the wrath of God, and it was meant for sinners. And oftentimes, it's mostly in the Psalms and in the, in the prophets, they talked about this cup. It was often God's wrath that was directed towards a sinful nation or a sinful people. The cup he wants, to, that he's asking that could be passed, is can you keep the wrath meant for the sinners of the people from me? He knows that he needs to, but he's wrestling with what's happening and the anguish that he's going through. And so he asks in a very important way. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And this is the key. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now it's natural from the human side of things to feel the shrinking feeling under the pressure but Jesus here isn't feeling a temptation to disobey the will of the Father, but simply if there's another way to avoid what is ahead. And that's the, the key takeaway in this verse is even in an intense time of sorrow and anguish, Jesus sought only one thing, the will of the Father. Now that's hard to do. That's hard to do because we have all experienced trials and temptations and hardships in our life. And usually the last thing on our mind is God's will. The first thing on our mind is our, our survival, our comfort, the things, we, the situation we want changed. But it's never really a, a question up front of, is this the will of God? But is there a way for this to be better? But above all, Jesus sought the will of the Father. 
He's asking, essentially, is there any other way we can do this besides the cross? Because I understand how terrible this cup will be. That's an important concept in the role of prayers, is that we can ask anything of God. He invites us to ask of anything. But we should seek one thing, his will. Prayer should always be used as a way to seek the will of God above all else. And that's where we understand that prayer is not a tool to change God's mind, but to lay a hold of his will and to change our heart. Prayer is something that helps us to understand God, to accept what he has for us. And this is a moment of Jesus taking his very model of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that he gave a couple of years ago to the multitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, if you want to pray, pray in this way. And the very first part is, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before anything was even asked in that model of prayer, he prayed that God's will would be done. And we talked about that prayer on January 10th. I'm going to just repeat some of the things we talked about because I think it's important we understand this concept of prayer because we often misunderstand it. That prayer is not transactional. It's meant to be transformational. Now, Jesus himself had the power to do all of these things. And later in the text we read that he could call down 12 legions of angels if he wanted to spare all that would come. But it wasn't the will of the Father. Prayer can feel frustrating if you misunderstand and you misconstrue the function. That prayer through faith doesn't mean you have enough faith to get what you want, or to have enough faith that nothing bad could ever happen to you, or have enough faith that you could attain the abilities or the possessions you so desire. Faith and prayer in faith is one that places an unwavering trust in a holy and a sovereign God and his perfect will. We sometimes get this idea that if we have enough faith, or that we're a good enough Christian, that suffering will never happen to us in this world. That God just desires for us to be happy and healthy and wealthy. There will be a time in which there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain and no more sin in this world. But that time is not yet come. We are promised that we will experience hardships in this life. And Jesus said it will sometimes be at the expense of loving him. There will be trials in this life. There is a temptation or a trial coming for these disciples as well. And prayer, faith, is not a tool to escape those things. But it's meant to help us through those things as we trust God and seek his will above all. And Jesus here in this example is not using a prayer to realign the will of God, but rather to take hold of it. See, nothing we ask for, nothing, is beyond the ability and the power of God to do. But many things we ask for lie beyond his will. Prayer is used to take hold of the will of God as our faith is a trust in his goodness, his knowledge, and his sovereignty. If you believe that, why would you want anything outside of his will? We'll see how that prayer works for Jesus here as we go on. But first we highlight the failure of the disciples to do that. Now, we see in verses 40 and 41, this is Jesus coming back and kind of like the, 
you had one job kind of moment. I just asked you to do one thing. And so verse 40, we see that he came back and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Now, this may not literally mean one hour. This is a, an expression of speech, but, which meant a short amount of time. This is kind of saying, like, couldn't you just stay awake for one second while I'm here? It's possible it was a full hour, but why did he single out Peter here? I think it's important to know what happened in the text before this that we didn't read this morning. That on the way from the supper in Jerusalem to the outskirts of Jerusalem here, the Garden of Olives, there was a discussion that happened with the disciples. And Jesus said, you will betray me. You will deny me. And Peter's the one who stood up. Now, this conversation may have only been 30 or 60 minutes prior. Peter's the one who stood up and said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the rest of the disciples agreed. Now, fast forward an hour, they've already failed. <laughs> you had one job. We often fail in the same ways, and it's important here in uh, verse 41 that we, we recognize these two shortfalls we come into. He says that we should watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation, and also that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what we see here that we should always remember, I'm going to write that right here, we should always recognize the power of temptation and the weakness of our flesh. Now, this is another echo of the Lord's Prayer. To watch and pray so you do not fall into temptation. That's where we pray, deliver us, or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation can mean either exactly what it sounds like or a trial that we face, but either way it can lead us to the same thing, which is sin. And the concept here is we do not let our guard down. That we know temptation is out there for all of us, and in different ways there are temptations we face in this life. There's trials we will come about, so keep watch. Be ready and pray. Find strength in the Lord to get through it. It's a continuous battle. But don't trust in yourself. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can develop all sorts of habits and positive thinking and accountability. Those are all good things, but the true strength comes not from yourself or from this world, but from the Lord. The flesh is weak. Now, Jesus demonstrates in this moment a victory of the spirit over the flesh. And the disciples are showing now a victory of the flesh over the spirit. They couldn't even keep their eyes open. They couldn't stay awake. So Jesus gives them this rebuke and this, this command, stay awake, and he goes back to pray again. We go back to the second prayer of Jesus in verse 42. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, I love the, the account of Matthew, because it gives us this second prayer. None of the other accounts say specifically what he prayed. They just said that he prayed again. But do you notice the subtle difference from his first prayer to the second prayer? The first prayer is something along the lines of, is there any other way but your will be done? This one is him kind of recognizing, if it's not possible, or in other ways, I realize it's not possible to take this cup away unless I drink it. So may your will be done. 
He's understanding that it's not within the Father's will to avoid the suffering mapped out for him. And, and I believe he knew that before it even started. He must drink this cup of wrath and judgment himself. The cup that's meant for us, he's taking on the cross. And we see here is that important concept that we just talked about. The concept that we talked about January 10th in the Lord's Prayer. Is this prayer didn't change the outcome, but it did appear to change his perspective, if you might be so bold, talking about the Lord himself. But that's what we, have, that's what we come through in prayers, that it may not change the outcome, but it, but it changes how we see what's happening in the moment. That even the most bold requests, the prayer of your will be done covers it all. It's a perfect example to the disciples and to all of us of the Lord's prayer in action to seek God's will above your own. And after this moment, he went back to find the disciples sleeping again. Their eyes were too heavy, as we read in verse 43. The disciples just couldn't do it. They failed to support Jesus when he asked for, a mo at, for the most. And it was, uh, it was clear at this point to Jesus that he was going to go at this alone. He needed strength. So he went back to prayer for a third time. And it doesn't tell us what he says in this moment, but I assume based on this trajectory, it was, it was something along the lines of, I know this is going to be hard, but I know even more this is your will. Give me the strength to get through this. Your will be done. Now that's an attitude we can adopt, a perspective we can adopt through prayer as well when we face temptations. In Philippians 4.13, maybe one of the most well-known Bible verses in all of the world, for Christians and non-Christians alike, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We often interpret that as, I can do whatever I want if I believe in Jesus. That's not what it's saying. The context of that is in temptations and trials. And the apostle Paul is saying, no matter what I'm facing, no matter, what, no matter how hard, I can do it through the strength of Christ. It's the same strength that he's exemplifying here in this trial and this temptation that he marches boldly in the will of God. And as all of us are called to the hard things, we can find strength in Jesus. Jesus gives us strength in times of temptation when we bring it to him through prayer and watchfulness. So that brings us to the last two verses today that there's this resolve, this boldness of Jesus in verses 45 through 46, that he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now Jesus explained to them essentially that they didn't use their time wisely. This is a rhetorical question. Are you still sleeping and resting? And he knew it. He saw them right there. But this is kind of his way of saying, you missed your opportunity. You slept through it all. Now is not the time to prepare. Now is the time to be ready. And as I read this and I thought about it this week, it reminded me of a moment growing up. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, you know, out in the country, so there's kind of one shot to get to school. And, and when I was in high school, I didn't quite have my license yet. Uh, but I was old enough that my parents could leave for work, you know, and trust me. So I, I was the only one that was going to get me up and ready and prepared for school that day. And I had an alarm clock that was great. 
because it was the loudest and most annoying alarm ever. It always got me out of bed, but it had a snooze function. And I knew I had exactly nine minutes every time I hit that snooze, and I would calculate it. I knew how much time it took me to get ready and to be out at the end of the road for the bus. And it come the same time every morning. So I'd snooze, I'd snooze, I'd snooze. But eventually it would get me out of bed. And often I was running out the door with one shoe on kind of thing, but I'd always get there to the bus. Well, one morning, that alarm was going off all faithful and true, and I kept hitting the, I hit, kept hitting the snooze button, but... It ultimately wasn't the sound of the alarm that got me up. It was the sound of is the bus stopped. I hear the brakes disengage and the diesel engine roar off. And I jumped out of bed and I, I looked out the window. I could just see the top sliver of that yellow bus fading behind the trees. I missed the bus. I wasn't prepared. The time for preparedness was over. And that's essentially what he's saying to the disciples. You guys missed the bus. This isn't a time of preparing. This is a time to go. And so he says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We see here is this clear moment of preparation of Jesus to face these, these trials before him and a failure of the disciples to do the same. And it was said in one commentary, I thought it was a really interesting point, that maybe the three prayers of Jesus as he's using this time to prepare, are meant to uh, highlight the three failures of Peter later on as he denies Jesus. He didn't take this time to pray. He didn't take this time to prepare. And so he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, just as he said. But Jesus in this moment was victorious over this temptation. He was strengthened to face the cross and all that would come. And most importantly, is he laid hold of the will of the Father to do even what was the most difficult to do. He fought the battle. He spent the time in prayer. And now the events would take their course. The temptation he faced in the garden is over. He raised, he emerged victorious. And now the tough things were ahead, but he was strengthened by prayer and back on course. A few key themes in the passion story come out in the text we read today. First, that God is in control of these events, no matter how tragic they may seem. That his good and his perfect will happened. And Jesus, being the Son of God, the Son of Man, who had all authority and power and glory, is suffering this death that was meant for sinners, the cup that was not his to drink, he drank. It was not his sins, but ours. And that death was humiliating and painful and terrible, but completely voluntary. He did this in his own will. This was an act of obedience of Jesus and an act of love for the world. There's also three points I want you to take away as we close today's sermon. As we think about the application of this, of how we deal with temptation in our life. And the first is this, that we need to be mindful and pray about temptation. Know that it's a daily battle and that temptation is out there for all of us. Now, it's real for all of us, but different for all of us, that what tempts me might be different than what tempts you. But we all have a weakness and ensnarement to sins. We're told that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion and seeking who he may 
devour. If you try to fight this in your own strength, you will fail. But keep watch and pray over temptations and trials. Don't be caught off guard. Be ready. And above all, seek God's good and perfect will above your own. So the question is, how is your prayer life? Is it sprinkled with your will be done or is it covered with your will be done? Are you prepared to abandon your own desires and interests? Are you prepared to move past good intentions? Jesus said to his disciples earlier in the book of Matthew that if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. When you take up your cross, you die to your own desires and you choose to follow God's will rather than your own. And through prayer, you can take hold of that will. Use a prayer as a vehicle to transform your heart, not to change God's mind. Seek his will above your own and then live with a trust in God and lean into his grace. Because we see even those closest to Jesus who had very clear and specific requests of Jesus failed. And we're going to fail in many ways too. We see in the text today that being a follower of Christ does not mean being perfect. We will make mistakes, but we lean on his grace and we trust him all the more. And we see that even when the disciples in many ways abandoned Jesus, he did not abandon them. He went to the cross anyway. He died for the sleeping disciples. He dies for a world that's sleeping all the same. Trust in him. Lean on him. And he already took our failures to the cross, and that way we don't have to share in the wrath of God, the cup that we deserve, but rather we share in his righteousness. And that's where we do all we can to trust in him and lean on him. See, he suffered greatly for Saul on his journey to the cross. Before he even got there, he felt the anguish of our sins. And the temptation was to find another way, but he found a boldness to travel the path only he could that journey to the cross. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. And it's just a remarkable story, a remarkable account. And this journey to the cross, this Garden of Gethsemane and all that you wrestled through. But we know that what you've done, you've done for all who have faith in you, that we have the gift of salvation because you went to the cross. And so because of that, God, knowing that you would never abandon us then, we know you'll never abandon us now. We trust you in all things, no matter how hard it might feel. And I pray, God, we can lean into your example that we read today. That as we face these trials and these hardships, that we would become more like you. To to find your strength through these things, to trust in your perfect will. And God, to always be ready for what it is you call us to. So God, I pray again through this Lenten season as we approach Easter, that we appreciate you all the more, that we worship and glorify you above all else as the one who died, but more importantly, the one who rose and conquered death so our sins could be forgiven. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.